podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right. Happy Thursday morning. Welcome back to the podcast. I got the boss man here. Happy holidays, boss man. What's going on? Hey there. How's it going? I imagine like who's listening to it's Christmas Eve. You know, Santa's getting his sleigh together as we speak. Uh, I guess we're one of the presents in the sleigh. I kind of like to imagine that those who listen to podcasts while wrapping presents or doing chores or getting ready for festivities on Christmas Eve are the hardcore. There's a lot of religions and beliefs out there, Dan. Ah, yes. I'm feeling a little bit left out. At this point, I think that Christmas is like a consumable holiday that it's just like, it's, I'm not, yeah. like religion is uh, totally cool. Practice whatever you want. Exactly. But Christmas, like get down with it. Like you should have it. <laughs> Everybody needs a Christmas tree, especially those lights. You leave those on 24 hours a day. They're LEDs now. They don't consume too much power. And it's like a nice thing to walk into, uh, you know, you're living in your room too in the middle of the night when you're getting a glass of milk. It's a great ambiance. It's affordable. Good smell if you get a real tree. And, uh, you know, as your time freedom increases through your profitable lifestyle business, you can commandeer and appropriate more and more holidays from other cultures. And then you could just have, you could be like how they are in Spain and basically just celebrate every holiday all the time. <laughs> well, that's just to get out of work, to be clear. <laughs> Well, we're going to talk about work here today, Ian. At the top, I thought it would be cool if we reflected on a few things. Today's episode, you know, is, is sort of going to be an overview of 2020 here at the TMBA. And wow, does that like sound like the worst sales pitch ever or what? And, you know, next week's episode, we're going to be looking forward. So one thing in terms of looking forward on last week's pod, Ian, I put out a investing challenge to the listeners, and the responses have been so good that I want to discuss them with you on an upcoming pod. So I just want to toss the investing challenge out one more week, and then we'll discuss the results with the audience. If you'd like to be involved, pull up your telephone or fire up your email client, type in my email address. It's dan at tropicalmba.com, and send me your answer to this challenge. Say so you got a good friend who wants some advice on how to invest 1% of their net worth. Here are the guidelines. You have to make a suggestion of an investment that is passive, i.e. pretty easy to manage, that is retail, that they can go out and purchase in just a matter of a few hours, and has extraordinary growth potential. Now, of course, the obvious answer to this, Ian, over the past few years has been Bitcoin. And it's fine if that's your answer and you want to give arguments for why that is still the answer. But I think it's also interesting to say, yes, of course, you know, Bitcoin or things like Amazon stock have been fantastic sort of 1% investments over the past five to 10 years. And I think what the listeners are coming up with are some really amazing, thoughtful options for the next five or 10 years. So, you know, Ian, Now's a great time to do some reflecting, to get stuck into your personal finances and get set up for success in the future. So I also think it's pretty cool to explore some of these uh, high upside investment opportunities. I thought the end of that was uh, going to be, we're starting to take investment. 
I thought that was the whole pitch there. Oh, yeah. I thought you were about to say, like, and we've opened a way for you to invest in us in this show. (laughs) (laughs) Bummer. All right. Yeah, well, if you're interested in investing in this show, head on over to uh, dynamitecircle.com or dynamitejobs.com. We've got plenty of uh, cool options for location-independent entrepreneurs. Of course, tropicalmba.com. Sign up for the newsletter, and uh, we send one out every single week. So there's your investment options, boss man. One other thing before we jump into this retrospect, Ian, uh, you flagged up wanting to reflect on the year in travel, although there almost was none. How has the fact that you cannot travel changed your mindset about business, about life? Well, I flag it up because I think it's probably been really interesting for most of this community that listens to the show because they either travel a lot or they have ambitions to travel. And so, you know, this year, travel basically got squashed for everybody. I think, you know, same as this idea of the show is like, it's kind of a time to reflect on how how you approach travel and how we approach travel this year was not being able to travel. And so what that changed for people. So I think first question goes to you, actually, Dan, which is, uh, you know, you've been basically in America for the last 12 months. How is this change your idea about travel? Well, I'll say this, you know, it's like, I haven't lived in America for a long period of time in over a decade. And so you think, well, it's an interesting opportunity to come back home after a decade of living abroad and evaluate things. Well, you know, it's sort of like a a very strange time to be taking stock of like what America is all about. And, you know, it's (laughs) like, not a great look. But honestly, there have been some amazing things about particularly being here in Austin. There is this vibe that Austin is really starting to pop in terms of a place where things are happening. And I think, you know, relative to other places in North America, at least to, you know, be, quote, locked down, we got really, really lucky here. So I'm really thankful for that and thankful for being able to be around you. That's going to be one of the major themes of this show. But I'll say, Ian, what I'm seeing is like, I'm not so sure that this community has stopped traveling, okay? Stick with me here. First off, personally, I've been traveling down to the golf course. That's basically... (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was speaking with a gentleman. I met so many interesting characters on the golf course this year, and just the experience of how many family members had been seriously ill or even had died in his family was incredibly sad. I mean, people are going through a really, really tough time, and it's strange because a lot of the ways we're hearing about what's going on is through the media. And I reflected on the idea when I was meeting this gentleman who we probably wouldn't float in the same social circles, you know, like that I just haven't met that many new people this year and that it's all pretty much happened on the golf course. And that's the golf course renaissance of like this one safe place where you can meet and connect with strangers and bond over something it's such an important part of the entrepreneurial community. It's kind of been you know, taken away from us in a lot of dimensions. Now, what hasn't been taken away from us is ourselves. And so one of the things I've noticed is this trend of entrepreneurs using this time to take personal stock. And there's been a lot of talk of like going to dark rooms and taking ayahuasca and doing hallucinogenics and a lot of talk of going to traditional talk therapy and stuff like that. Personally, I went through my first long period of extensive talk therapy in my life. And it was really, really awesome opportunity. You know, when you're traveling around, running around, doing all kinds of stuff all the time, 
sometimes you don't have the opportunity to like sit still and take stock. And so that's the sort of traveling as well. And it's certainly an adventure, like going into my mind, that's an adventure, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, speaking of adventures, I, I read this wonderful book called The Price of Tomorrow. The book outlines all these potential technologies that would basically change, fundamentally change economies and replace jobs with technology. And one of the things I found pretty shocking was the possibility that virtual reality could replace travel. And like this sounds like sort of ridiculous, but after having read the chapter, like the argument he makes is really, really strong that like, you know, what are we actually looking for in a travel experience? And it might be something that you can find in a virtual reality headset within the next decade. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I don't think you played video games in a while, have you? <laughs> no, this is my video game. <laughs> it's getting pretty intense. Like, uh, you can definitely see why people spend their whole day in that world is because, yeah, you can probably do more in a day in one of those worlds than you can in two weeks of travel certain places. Yeah. You know, for me, Dan, this uh, whole like not traveling this year has been interesting. I think what I've kind of realized about myself is that I was actually over traveling, believe it or not. And just like putting more emphasis on this idea of slow travel. So the idea of slow travel is basically uh, you travel less places. And when you're there, you kind of live as if you live there. So it's like you don't have to see all the monuments in a week. It's like you go, you see what you see, you live your life, and then you hope one day you come back to explore more. So so you don't have to basically overdo it. And I think I've been like edging towards that through the years, you know, like the slow travel idea when we go to Spain and other places in the world. But I definitely missed not going to Spain this summer. That's like one of the highlights of my year. And I definitely missed not going to Bangkok this year to go to DCPKK. I would say outside of that, I didn't really miss a lot. And I do, you know, I've got a little compound going on over here in Austin. So I did enjoy, you know, spending time here and I kind of like built out the outdoor space because it's COVID friendly. So I don't know, Dan, maybe this is just me getting old, but I do feel like, you know, I might have been doing a little bit of travel just for travel's sake or just to just to keep my travel report card looking oh, good, yeah. you know, all A's <laughs> down. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen once this opens up. I think we're, we're all probably going to rush to do some traveling because I'm definitely missing yeah. it in some ways. But in other ways, I feel like I've taken a couple trips that weren't so meaningful. Like when I look back, I think like, eh, you know what? That was like more stress and headache than it was actually worth. Yeah. We'll see how it changes my behavior, but I am definitely enjoying Austin. You know, there's a couple other things that have become strange this year. Like Austin is kind of in a little bit of a drought. So that means like sunshine basically every day. The weather's been perfect. So I could just be talking a big game here. If it was gray and uh, and cloudy and rainy for three months, I could be singing a different song maybe. Yeah, and look, we're glass half full kind of guys. Most of the listeners of this show, glass half full. I'll give you a report card. You're a world-class patio designer. You know, you made a wonderful (laughs) space out there. and You're just focusing your energy elsewhere. I mean, I guarantee you the moment like International Terminal opens up and we could jump on a plane and do something cool, eh, we're probably going to do it here and there, you know? For sure. But I do think it'll be a little bit more in question just because I feel like, you know, sitting in one space this year, it didn't create as much anxiety as I thought. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like sometimes travel creates a little bit more anxiety for me than no travel. Well, Ian, it's been a remarkable year. And maybe you could say the podcast has been a little bit more navel gazy 
than usual, not the least of which is because of your music taste, but also which I've uh, unfortunately had to be exposed to in, in, uh, extensively this year. Yeah, sorry uh, about that. <laughs> I'm trying to play more uh, top 20 hits for you. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I guess, because there has been a lot going on, and in some ways we have you know, been focused on us this year, our businesses, and yeah, looking forward to get it in you know, out in the world a little bit more amongst the listeners of this show in 2021. Well, you know, Dan, like you said, the buddy that you have playing golf, you know, people have lost their lives this year and uh, certainly people have lost their livelihoods. Oh, yeah. For us, our business got cut in half because we couldn't do events this year. Uh, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours and he put like a small handyman project up on Craigslist and he got like 120 people applying to do this job. And the guy that came had like four kids. So, you know, I think, Dan, we we basically live in a bubble. <laughs> That's what I think. And, you know, a lot of the listeners of this show live in a bubble too. A lot of people have been far more impacted this year than we have. And I think a lot of ways we're lucky to be in the position we're at. And a lot of people are not so lucky. So I think, you know, I for one day am, am thankful that we've still got the opportunity to talk on this podcast and run these businesses and to uh, have a positive outlook for 2021. So going back to the beginning of the year, Dan. Let's just uh, like try to remember a time when the world wasn't engrossed in a global pandemic. I do remember. It was January, February, and we were like reading and talking to people, actually talking to people in China about what was going on. Uh-huh. It seems like so long ago. I had just taken a trip to Colorado. It was like skiing in February. It seems like 10 years ago to me that this happened. And I was like looking at Airbnbs in Austin, Texas, thinking like, oh my God, this is so expensive. (laughs) Right. But we were planning an event. We have our annual event here in Austin, Texas in April. But that, of course, coincided with something else that started to dominate our thoughts in the United States and all over the world in 2020. I'd like to buzz the audience back to last Monday. And last Monday, me and you, we were all over COVID-19 personally with DC members, with our team. We weren't talking publicly too much about it, specifically because me and you had a ton of skin in the game. We had this responsibility, this opportunity, this commitment to bring 150 podcast listeners together in Austin, Texas. and. Two weeks ago, we kind of thought morally the right thing to do was to let each individual make their own decision. We kind of started to change our tunes the next week, that that Monday I'm telling you about. And I remember being on the phone saying, you know, we got a plan for this cancellation. In my mind, there was a lot more lead up. Maybe this is just me personally. Maybe you weren't thinking on this wavelength necessarily because you just got to Texas. In my mind, I'm reading about this virus in China for months, basically, and watching them in China basically set up a hospital in 10 days and trying to contain this thing. And But as far as a month ago, Dan, I honestly, personally started stockpiling food, kind of like all these like doomsday things started crossing through my mind. And then on top of that, what you're saying is true, which is we basically run an in-person event company that has an online forum. And so we had to figure out what is the responsible and what is the right thing to do in terms of bringing all these people together? And so, you know, here we are basically a month and a half out from our event in Austin. 
And we're sitting here thinking like, are we going to let this happen? And then is the government going to let this happen? And if you want to go even back further, we're coming from a different perspective because I was living in a country where there were active cases down the street from me. And so, you know, on the one hand, you look at the numbers in China and you understand math. And on the other hand, you're just one country away over in Thailand. And at that time, things were contained. Like I said, as little as two weeks ago, we still were sort of thought, we don't need to get in front of this thing necessarily. That all changed last Tuesday for me and you personally. One of the key points for me was, you know, we didn't want to compel anybody to do anything, you know, that might endanger anybody else, themselves or otherwise. You have to reach into your gut and you have to try and do what you believe is right. And what we believed was right was canceling this event, no matter the financial repercussions. And I'll just say this one last thing about that event. We were also very scared to hear what our members were going to say because a lot of people were counting on coming to Austin. I mean, the reason we put on these events is because people get massive value from them. You know, it changes their lives and their businesses. And so when you can't attend an event like that, for us and for our members, it's, it's devastating. And so I was honestly scared to hear what people were going to say, Dan. And I just wanted to say thanks to the community because I think a lot of people were relieved that we made that decision. I posted in the forum, me and you were on the phone like Wednesday at 3 p.m. And I'm like, dude, one last look at the copy, boss man. And I jump into an Uber. Because I got to meet a friend across town. And it takes me like a half an hour to get there. And when I meet him, we have a few drinks and we're catching up. And there's like a lull in the conversation. And he pulls up his phone and he's like, the NBA just canceled the season. And Tom Hanks contracted COVID-19. And it's just remarkable how fast things are changing, you know, for all of us at the same time. So that's one thing I wanted to share. The second thing I got to share. And this, boss man, is, I hope, going to add some levity to this podcast and will become a long-term theme, is that I'm living in my van down by the river. Well, I think it was uh, two months I spent living in a lovely RV on the ranchette. I'm endlessly appreciative of that, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think about what funny stories we could tell from that, but there's a couple. (laughs) I mean, it was like one giant snow day first off yeah it was like sort of indulgent in this like oh my gosh what's going to happen to the world kind of thing where you know let's hunker down together and spend a lot of time together and yeah it was just it was really cool well we did a couple things i think that were productive the margarita thing wasn't really productive but it was a lot of fun it was the productive thing that we did was we actually ran a hundred foot ethernet cable from my house to my shop <laughs> and where we sat in two chairs and uh, talked on YouTube for a couple of weeks. That was pretty fun. <laughs> it's like you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, it's like, oh my God, the world's ending. What should we do? Podcast <laughs> about it. <laughs> so, so we we did like this daily podcast. It was cool. It was a way to connect. We had like a live chat with listeners and we call it the pod shop. That'll always be a very memorable time. We were trying to process like what the next steps were for all of us until we sort of settled into, you know, I remember kind of two or three months into it thinking, I guess we just got to like get back to life now, you know, but there was this moment where we were just trying to figure out how to downshift uh, and how to move forward. For me, it was like last 10 years, you're like, 
every six months I got to hear, you know, we should really do the show daily. That we should, I think we should do the show daily. And then <laughs> somehow it became your idea the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> we get to living together on my property. I was like, you want to do it daily? Oh, yeah, we're doing a daily. Here's our chance, man. We're going daily. And you were like, I'm not sure I want to do daily. <laughs> Turns out, you know, and one of the really enormous upsides of being able to spend so much time together was really to minister to our relationship and figure out how we can be better partners to each other. And I think that that was all about figuring out a vision that we were both equally on board with, you know, and this idea that both of us are going to sit on a podcast like this every single day and talk about business instead of running one wasn't ultimately a vision that both you and I could get on board 100%. And we were in lockstep on that one, actually. You know, when the reality of it faced us, we decided we wanted to do something different. Well, that's the other thing, actually, I was going to bring up that I don't know if we talked about on this show, but like you and I had like some pretty intense patio conversations about like the direction of our relationship in the company. And I think for lack of a better term, that in part was because we were basically sitting in our own shit for three months together. Yeah. We were kind of like forced to have these conversations in a weird way. It kind of pushed that forward, which I actually think is interesting, Dan, because I mean, if we were at the psychologist's office right now, you'd probably say you guys should have had that conversation three, four, even five years ago. Well, and I think one of my takeaways is, well, we have to continue to always have that conversation. And I guess that's a shout out to all the business partners out there is that, look, that's at the core of your business. And and that's really a, a big, big issue for me and you is our relationship and how we feel we're invested in our business, how we're contributing, where it's going, what it means to us, like how it makes us feel, like all this kind of stuff. Like, it's a big deal. It's, it's, it's you know, and, and that's like, I think my biggest takeaway is it's not a one-stop shop. It's not just something we can just do because COVID happened. You know, we have to make that a priority between me and you. Even this week, we were both talking about our dream lines. You know, this exercise we've done a lot of episodes about, we're doing them again. We're like doing that work together where it's like making sure that we're on the same page about, you know, where we're heading and that it's worth it because these things are so, so important to us. Yep. Speaking of important to us, one of the things we, we both are very, very passionate about, obviously, is remote work and what a time for it in 2020. Of course, we have a, a website that focuses on remote work called dynamitejobs.com. And that M is really important, by the way, because uh, it costs us a couple bucks. And uh, for many years, we have been operating on a lowly and miserly.co. <laughs> Not to say that it's actually lowly, but, you know, I don't know if I want a t-shirt with that co-boss, man. <laughs> I couldn't afford the M. Couldn't, in a lot of ways. Couldn't afford to print it. Couldn't afford to buy it. Well, it was a good running joke on the show for a while that we were, you know, couldn't afford the M. And now maybe uh, it'll be a running joke that we actually bought it. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, Still can't really afford it, but we paid for it. I mean, that's just, you know, part of what you do as an American. And what's crazy as an you know internet entrepreneur, and there's not a listener that can't relate to some kind of domain anxiety. Like, are we doing the right thing here? And for many years, we certainly tried to secure that M boss man, but we failed. So in the end, we decided to enlist a broker re- recommended to us by AppSumo's Noah Kagan and good friend, shout out Noah, and Rob Barber from DomainSOS.com. Rob can afford the M. <laughs> <laughs> triumphed where me and the boss man had failed. So here's that story. Essentially, the guy who owned 
dynamite jobs. From what I can tell, he was just an just some guy and bought the name because he liked it and maybe owned a couple more domains, but it wasn't his full-time business, and he really just wanted to make money off of it. Your initial dialogue with him was, hey, I've got the trademark, and that instantly puts people on the defensive. Right? Oh, oh my God, what a, do I need to get an attorney? And that changes the dynamic of the interaction right there. No fault of your own. This is not me pointing my finger at you. It's just the reality of it. So I approached him. Obviously, I gathered all the information from you, and I approached the owner using a, a fake email, and it just helped the process because if somebody can't look you up online and they can't tie you to somebody that they can relate to the domain or anything else, it makes the process much easier. And so he and I basically got to a point where we were emailing back and forth. And he did have an initial stance where it sounded like your one example, like he was like, oh, I'm going to make a boatload of money off this domain. And we kind of circled the wagons and, and eventually we agreed on a price, came back to you and you're like, uh, it's still higher than I want to go. And and then I let you know what the price was. And, and I know your response was, uh, I don't know. My response exactly was, you're ruining my weekend, Rob. That's what it was. That's what it we was. Can't, we can't do this. <laughs> but when this guy thought that he was going to make you know tons and tons of money, at that point, how did you get him off that? The more you can build up rapport with somebody, email or verbally, the easier it is to work on getting a price that is, you know, let's call it fair for everybody. So part of the process is essentially learning or knowing what does that person, the, the owner, really need to get out of this to make them happy? If a domain is worth 100 grand, like literally worth 100 grand, I just, I, I won't offer five grand or 10 grand for it because it's just not realistic. Now, if you know the person is desperate, they need money, for whatever reason, you learn something about them, well, then you can push those envelopes, right? Then you can say, you know, look, hey, I know it's a great name. I can give you 20,000. This is like a real, it's just real real estate. Look, I can give you 20 grand cash today in your bank account for this name. It might be worth 100 grand, but nobody else is offering. So getting back to Dynamite Jobs, you guys had a dialogue back and forth. And, and finally, we settled on a number. How happy do you think he was with that? Do you think I got a good deal? Oh, I think, so here's the thing. So you got a good deal. One, you had built a business on the .co, which is not even close to a .com. It's the next most valuable extension, in my opinion, and others' opinion. So as a business owner, you don't have the money up front. It's better to build the business and then make the money to buy the .com at some point. The flip side of that is, like your name, like Diamond Jobs, I don't think the owner really put two and two together. I don't because he could have easily said, "Oh, I want a hundred grand or fifty grand or whatever." I mean, he could have easily paid, well, a lot more, ten x that. Do you think he felt like he got a good deal in the end? Do you think that he celebrated that weekend? Uh, I think he had some regrets. He and I had an email thing after that took place. I, it, nothing bad. I think that on one hand, he was glad to get the money. And on the other hand, I think he he was sad to let this thing go that he had owned for a while, right? 
it's like a lot of people who collect like they're collectors did he own it since like 1999 or something was he the original owner of it i think he was the original owner yeah one of his babies was leaving there you go and that's that's also one of the things that i encountered when like trying to broker names is that is this person literally in it for the business right they own thousands of domains and it's a numbers game that's a totally different approach than a person who owns five domains that they've owned for 20 years just want to give a shout out to a lovely comment from a listener and also contributor to this show kyla gardner shout out kyla who wrote on the tmba blog awesome deep dive into a subculture i know nothing about rob seems like a real straight shooter Speaking of which, another one is one of my all-time favorite people and golf buddy who uh, COVID has separated us, but I so look forward to seeing him again. His name is Mark Brenwall, and earlier this year, he came on the pod to share some insights about how his approach to life and business have been shaped by his experiences and the way he chooses to live his life. I absolutely just, I remember this conversation like it was yesterday. And it resonated so much with me over the years that I've called it the Brenwall Code. And I know it resonated with so many of you because of the email response to this episode. All right. Your full name, what it is you do? My name is Mark Brenwall. And what it is that I do is hard for me to answer only because I don't want to be tied to my business. Okay. My business is I sell things on Amazon. What I do currently is play a lot of golf (laughs) and I hang out with friends and my wife and yeah. Now, a little background. Mark has an FBA business called Wad Nation that sells CrossFit products like jump ropes and wrist straps. Last time you came on this pod, you said you were making $20,000 a month in profits. Correct. Do you want to update that figure? To be honest, the profit is slightly more and really hasn't been that much of a growth, although the business is very different, right? I work a lot less on it. And that's sort of the direction I took the business was how do I optimize it and also optimize my life at the same time. I lived in San Francisco for 17 years. San Francisco is a great place, but it is a lot. You know, it is, it's intense. But you were earning big money. I mean, I was earning big money, but if you're making $120,000 in San Francisco, it isn't all that much money. You know, there were times when I had a credit card balance and, you know, the normal American way of living. When I grew up in in a small town in Wisconsin, the idea of making $125,000 was like, you've made it. Oh, yeah. But now looking back and certainly now living in Chiang Mai and making more money than that, I realize how crazy it is to live. (laughs) I would never move back to San Francisco, even at the current salary I'm making. Yeah. Because why would I do that? At some point when I made that decision, like, you know, this isn't really, I'm not seeing the value of being here as much as I did when I was younger. I guess the big question is what's next? And how old were you when you started asking these questions? 40 years old, 41-ish. And I immediately started thinking outside the country, right? I wanted to explore the world, which I hadn't as much. You know, I did the typical two weeks a year travel. So basically I moved to the Philippines. Before you moved, were you telling people in your life about what you were doing and how were they responding? I would definitely wasn't a secret. I mean, in that time period of my life, I'd gone through lots of changes. You know, 2008, that was kind of the recession of San Francisco and kind of hit pretty hard there. And so I got 
laid off from my job. I did recover from that and, you know, hustled a bit and got some other things going, which also ended up giving me a bit of money to leave the country full time. So I you know, did a little, a small cash out of, of a startup. I also got sober during that time. So 10 years ago today, actually, <laughs> was my last drink. That's crazy. Congrats. That's crazy. Thank you. How connected is sobriety with the entrepreneurship journey to you? I say this about sobriety. For me, it's never been a difficult journey because my life got better so much faster, so fast. I met my wife. I moved out of the country. I, I started a business. I think that my life before I got sober was very erratic, especially for those anybody who's like going through the tough times of the, the end of your drinking career, right, or using career. Those last few years are just torture because you're just using more than you want. You want to quit and you can't. And you're in this freight train to the bottom. And when I came out of that and I found some good recovery and made some friends in, in those programs, my mind started to quiet down a lot. I definitely couldn't have left the country if I was still drinking. And Why? Using. When you are in that place of using drugs and alcohol to manage your emotions, there's a lot of fear. There's just a lot of fear. I and mean, that's, I think that for me is why I drank and What were you, what used were you scared of? The world, life, everything. There isn't a clear answer to that. Obviously, it's, it's a slow progression, you know? It's like, how did you get fat? Well, one pound at a time, you know? <laughs> and also, like, how did you stop? Like, well, I stopped really quickly and, and suddenly and I hit the fucking wall, right? Anyone who's in recovery, you know, we talk about that, that fear a lot. And that fear is just the general anxiety of like, I'm not enough. Or else it's like, it's this ego thing. It's both like, I am the best and I am the worst. It's actually the same mentality, the same feeling, right? Because there are times when I would act like I'm God's gift to this job. I'm God's gift to this girl. And also at the same time, I felt like I wasn't worthy. Uh, how do you manage the fear now? I did go through Alcoholics Anonymous for many, many years. And I learned a lot about myself going through that program, a lot. And the big one that we talk about a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous is ego, right? How to cut down your ego, because that, that's sort of the root of all our issues. And so learning how to manage the ego and how to, how to cut the ego down has been, is going to always be my lifelong sort of progression. Even now, like I look at things as insignificant as like Facebook. If ever I read a post that someone puts up and I think about making a comment, I automatically think of like, what is my purpose for writing this comment? Am I trying to be funny? Am I trying to be clever? Am I trying to have people comment on my comment? Right. And I just end up not doing it because it just feeds my ego. It's just a bad thing for me. And this has sort of played into my life in a lot of ways. I think even in business, you know, it's very easy to think about. How am I doing compared to someone else? Why is he more successful than I am? And one thing that, that we talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous is don't, the phrases, there's a lot, tons of phrases in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is great because <laughs> it works. <laughs> but they say, don't judge your insides by someone else's outsides. You know, you know your business intimately. So you don't know that person's business intimately. And that goes for lots of things. It goes for people's relationships and the works. Something I've been thinking about in the last year is 
how do I want to live my life? Not how do I want to grow my business? It's very easy in our community, in the Dynamite Circle, to talk about business. How's your business doing? What's your profit margin? Email subscription, <laughs> da, 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 you know? And for me, I have to be careful with that because it's all ego-based. It can be ego-based unless I'm doing it to help someone else do something on their business. And so in the last year, I've really been focused on what makes me happy outside of business as well as continuing to run a successful business. Everyone out there that is serious about productivity, and I know there's a lot of you, you're going to love this one. Today's episode is sponsored by Woven.com. Woven is an all-in-one calendar that helps you manage and blend both your work and personal lives, enabling you to spend time on what matters the most. Yes, yeah, squeezing the most productivity out of your hours. With Woven, you can sync all of your calendars in one place, including Google Suite integration as well as Microsoft integration. You can create and use scheduling links from directly within your calendar. So no need for third-party scheduling apps. You can rapidly time block your week using smart templates. And the best part is you can track your time and gain insights into your week with built-in analytics. Woven makes it easy to plan, join, and manage video events, helping you schedule with Zoom or Google Hangouts. And with multiple time zone integrations, Woven is ideal for remote workers and productivity hackers. They also have apps across iOS, web, iPad, and Microsoft. In fact, I learned today that many podcasters actually use Woven for handling the guest booking and recording parts of their shows. So in short, Woven is like a calendar for power users and those who are serious about their productivity allowing you both to schedule time with others and protect that productive maker time for yourself, all while giving you analytics about it all. Very cool stuff. Check them out over at woven.com. And a huge thanks to the folks at Woven for sponsoring the show. Appreciate Mark coming on the show. See if we can't get him back again. Definitely an inspiration is someone I consider a mentor. Here at the pod, we often talk about a key factor in running a successful business as being finding that founder fit. I mean, like it's not always about an idea or necessarily how hard you work, although I'm a big fan of hard work. Like I think of all the variables in running a business, like one of the clear ones that contributes to success for me is like just time, effort, and skill into the business. But that's another topic. But also having the right kind of business for where it is you are in your life, in your skill set, in your relationships, in the market timing, all these things amount to something like founder fit. Jesse Hanley is the founder of a software company, Bento Now, and a content agency called Talent Tree. And he came on the show to, to share how trying to do everything landed him in a world of pain. We started his story as he had just lost his first job out of school which was developing and marketing a supplement line for a huge gym franchise in Australia. So basically, like to do a quick recap, I uh, started consulting immediately after I lost my job, picked up clients, hired my first two team members, and then built up kind of a full service agency. I had an ops person. I had like a head of SEO, like that kind of typical thing. All I was doing was basically closing deals working out how to do that work and then hiring people to make that happen. I was in Slovenia and I was so overwhelmed and and frankly like I was depressed and completely wrecked and I was in my like little white Airbnb 
and I was like emotional. I was, I was like crying. It was just like too much. It was kind of like a good analogy is I, I was standing there and it was almost like everyone that I was in contact with had cables attached to me. So all my clients, my team, everything, contractors, and you got these like hundreds of cords, right? That's all plugged into you. And it's, it makes you so claustrophobic. And I, yeah, I got to try not to get like a bit teary. Sorry. That was, dude, a lot of us relate to this shit. We're doing hard stuff. Okay. It was a pretty scary point and it was really overwhelming. And so I, I called my dad and I flew back to Sydney and basically sat down with him and like reevaluated the business. And for me, that actually looked like completely shafting the whole company and, uh, and starting again. If you could zoom back and then be the business coach for the Jesse who wants to persevere in that situation, what's a good positive business move they can make in that situation? Sure. I mean, looking back, I don't think I would have changed a thing because in that agency, I made so many great relationships, so many great friendships. People that pay me for Bento today were clients four years ago. And in a way, like as I was reflecting on you know, my first job where I basically I got so much permission to try different things. The agency also gave me permission to try things. It taught me how to learn Facebook ads at scale. It taught me how to learn Google ads at scale. It taught me how to run a content team at scale. Like the agency taught me loads. It just got to a critical point where it became too overwhelming for my personality type. That was Jesse Hanley. You can find him on Twitter. He's a great follow. Speaking about his journey of discovering his own founder fit. Here's the thing, like the uh, painful realizations of entrepreneurship, they're not only at the beginning when you're figuring out what's the right kind of business for me to start, uh, they, they just keep on coming. They just keep on coming. Rob Walling, host of the podcast Startups for the Rest of Us, founder of Hittail and Drip, among many other things, is one of the most respected thinkers and also doers in the software as a service space. I love to go back and listen to this. Listen to how hard it was for him especially from a mindset perspective, to reach that flywheel we so often talk about, where after years and years of grinding, your business eventually starts to have its own momentum. So for me, especially during Drip, I was taking on every task that had to get done that wasn't done by a developer or like a salesperson or support. I was just this big bucket of tasks and I, I didn't like it. You know, I was capable, but you do that for a long time and you don't like your job. So that was stressful to me. The lack of funding, I really wished we'd had some money more than just what I was putting into it. I hadn't run a business before where having more money would have alleviated stress and helped us grow faster. And the third one was a big one for me. And it was, it's this existential dilemma of I have an asset that is worth millions and millions of dollars and I can't get any cash out of it. And I'm way overexposed to this single point of failure, completely underdiversified. By the time we were approaching selling, I had sold all my other products. The only thing I had was, you know, started for the rest of us, the podcast and microconf. But I had sold Hiptail, I had sold five other apps. I was 15 years of an entrepreneurial career. Every chip was in on drip. 
And I would wake up every morning think, oh, God, is this the day that the Russian spammers, which happened <laughs> Sunday night, Russian spammers at two in the morning our time start spamming through our system. Our IPs get blacklisted and suddenly none of our emails being delivered. And I thought, well, I guess we've had a good run. And of course, we fixed it. But, you know, then a month later, the server goes down and we're down for this and that and emails and stuff would just come up where I was like, I think we could literally be out of business overnight. And I am too much of a stress bucket to be able to deal with that anxiety. How much of it is appropriate? Man, at the time it felt so real. And in retrospect, so much of it, I think, was in my head, especially the existential piece. Whether there was a recession, whether our servers did go down, all the stuff that happened, we just figured it out. Like we're entrepreneurs, right? Like that's what we do. We solve hard problems with creative solutions. The odds of a SaaS app that's doing millions of dollars in revenue suddenly going literally to zero are very, very small. And yet those were the things I was those are the things I was thinking about. To your point, I think I was a lot in my head. I regret that actually, because I had a tough year in twenty fifteen. It was tough on me, it was tough on my family, because my I I didn't work that much, that many hours, but mentally I was always thinking and worried, and that, that takes a toll on you. Mindset, self-development, and managing all this stuff. There's a reason we talk about all this stuff on the pod. It's the sort of exercise, like going to the gym, you know? This stuff really doesn't go away. You always got to run up against another roadblock or a problem. The question is, is how good are you going to be at moving past that? And here are two examples, again, from some of my favorite people, but at different stages in their journey. Coming up is John Solazerno, founder of solomediagroup.co, one of my favorite apps of the year, who is just a little over his first 1,000 days of building a business. But first, you're going to hear from Smash Digital's Travis Jameson. Travis has been coming on the show since 2012. He's had such an incredible career, and he's one of the smartest people I know, certainly someone I go to for advice. So two entrepreneurs at very different stages, but just listen to how closely the core message of these two jive. Two months ago, you wrote, entrepreneurship is a great life, but damn, some days are just a beat down. It feels like without fail, it's always two steps forward, one step back. What were you talking about? I have a supplement company and... We have, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 SKUs, individual products. None of these are private label. We make our own custom everything. And we use probably like six different manufacturers. We had one manufacturer who had made one product. And we'd already stopped using them because they weren't like playing ball with like proper record keeping and stuff like that. Well, they pissed off the FDA enough through the FDA finally said, okay, you're done. And we're doing a recall on all of the products you've ever made in the last six years. And we're like, oh, crap. But, you know, that's okay. So, uh, you know, it's just one product of ours. No big deal. There was no safety issues. It's no big deal. So we just tell the people, like, you know, throw your stuff away. We'll refund you. Cool, right? Well, these guys gave not just like their specific product list. They gave their entire email list, including people who just gotten quotes and everything. They gave that to the FDA and they gave that to Amazon. And so all of a sudden, Amazon pulls down all of our listings, all of them. 
Oh, it got way worse. Even from them, they then emailed all of our previous customers, all of them, and said, your product is part of a recall. So insane amounts of refund, refunds, insane amounts of, of lost trust that we built up over years, and we can't sell anything. And so it took us hiring lawyers, lots of back and forth. The lawyers had to talk to the shutdown company because that's the only documents that Amazon would accept. And so we finally got them back. And we still haven't even got them to rescind the email yet. We still haven't gotten them to remove all the negative reviews of people saying this was recalled, even though it wasn't. Like, so we're, we're still fighting an uphill battle with it. But Wow. That's, I think, by anybody's standards, more than one step back. It's okay. You know, you get it and just work through it. This is why I believe in entrepreneurship so much. And I think, I hope people listening would choose it as a future for themselves. Is like, at the end of the day, you have to bear responsibility for this stuff, even if it's not your fault or, you know, whatever. It's like, you, it's not like you just got your year end bonus, the stock payers got paid, and you waltzed to the next turnaround gig. It feels authentic. And not that a lot of other career paths are not, but some of them are. Sure. I think with what's happening now in the economy, there's a very good chance that we have a lot more people joining our ranks. Like if you've lost your job, you've been, hey, you've been thinking about doing this thing for a while, you're going to do that thing and you're going to bootstrap it, you know, with pennies. Do it yourself. What I'm learning now in my third year is like, you know what, the, the genius thing is that I just keep going and I'm, we'll just keep learning and you kind of stack these things and you get better and you get better. You're going to do horrible deliveries on some projects or you're going to build horrible websites or make some bad choices. But you've got to take those experiences and make it so that the one after that is like an advancement, right? I'll give you an example of, of a mess up that we just had. We transferred this site from our server to another server and this client had all their, the users in there. And when we transferred it from to their server, an automatic email triggered and it CC'd all of their customers and their customers are competitors with one another. You know, they got their attorneys involved. This was a, we were white labeling this for an agency. So the agency was like, hey, we have to stop work there. You know, the attorneys are getting involved. And the developer that was working on it with me, like he was like basically about to cry when I called them. And I was like, look, man, like it's okay. I bet you that you'll never make this mistake again. You know, we're going to share this with the team and this team will never make that mistake. I was a little stressed, but it was just one mistake. But those kind of mistakes make sure that you never make that mistake again, right? It's like being so embarrassed that you're like, you know what, I'm going to make sure that I fix that. So yeah, I think that that's what I would tell first time people like, you're going to appreciate it later down the road. Perhaps a lot of stress. Yes, maybe some sleepless nights. But there's also a dignity in building and, and commanding your own ship. And these two are certainly doing that. One person I've learned a lot from over the years is Kevin Kelly, author of one of my all-time favorite books, What Technology Wants. It was truly amazing to have him this year on the pod. He, of course, coined the theory of a thousand true fans which we've workshopped on this pod over the years. I was absolutely captivated to hear how Kevin came up with the original idea. It was more of a theory. I'm saying, according to mathematics, this is what should happen. 
And I had trouble even finding an example of one person who had arrived from, not from the established media, but had grown up organically through a thousand true fans. And so what's changed over time is that now there's, you know, there's plenty and plenty of examples of people like yourself who have done this. So I've gone from thinking that theoretically this is what's possible <laughs> to, to knowing without a doubt. What did you discover that led to the theory? You know, I remember talking to, it was a house party or something. I was talking to someone in the music business. We were probably talking about copyright because, because I've, I've long been this radical in my belief that the um, ownership is a totally wrong thing to, to apply to ideas. And, you know, the music industry for a very long time was the major resistor. You know, they shut down Napster. There was a resistor to this idea of sharing your music. And I was making some kind of argument about why this wasn't a real problem and how, you know, with today's audiences and going directly to be able to have customers, you didn't need that many. And I began to kind of do the calculation. I think at that very moment, I was trying to think, well, how many would you need? And then, by the way, I, I talked about that for a couple of years before I decided I should write it down. I don't actually write a lot of this stuff down. <laughs> but the thing that I also want to always make a caveat about this is that it's not for everybody. For me, it's just a, yet another option because even I am not that inclined to have to, to interact with my fans all the time to do that. To do that requires that you actually do interact with your thousand true fans in a meaningful way. Some people don't want to do that. They'd rather just keep creating. I don't see it as a, like a panacea or a solution for everybody. I think it's just an option. And of course, you can also use it part way. You can still reach out and have true fans without necessarily depending solely on them. You can have other kinds of fans as well. So I'm not really dogmatic about it in that sense. What a cool opportunity to talk to the man, the myth, the legend. It's been a decent year for guests here on the pod. I don't know if COVID had something to do with that. People were available to talk, and a lot of podcasts took advantage of that this year. Certainly, it was awesome to uh, see Kevin on the video call and to speak with him for so long about his amazing career. And finally, before we go, we're going to listen back to a snapshot from this utterly crazy year, one in which people had to re-engineer and rethink their lives so much in the face of the COVID pandemic. So let's spool back to when we asked listeners to call in with their lived experiences. Actually, so many of them were joyful. Hey, Ian. Hey, Dan. It's Lucas here calling you from Tangier, Morocco. And I think this is a perfect moment to describe my existence right now. Are you hearing my son? He's four years old. He's talking about spaceships. This has been happening since March. The interruptions. He is not wearing any clothes and he is in my office right now. Yes, sir. Yeah, 
astronauts can take off their clothes in the spaceships. That's true. Yeah, this has been my life, man, since March. I got locked down here in uh, Tangier, where I run a little travel company, uh, Journey Beyond Travel. We're in the travel industry, so it hit us really hard. But that's a nice thing about being in Morocco. It's one of the places that we don't talk about too much uh, around the D.C. or here. You know, we find a really nice kind of balance of living, which means that when something like uh, COVID did happen, uh, we're able to quickly kind of reduce budgets very easily and, uh, you know, live very well off, you know, two, three thousand dollars a month. But in the meantime, you know, trying to get any work done without any child care, uh, that's tough. You put in the hours early in the morning. Uh, for me, that's about 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Uh, then it's all day with the kids. And then after they go to bed, if I have any energy left, you know, I, I try to get, you know, a phone call or two done or maybe a sift through some emails or something like that. But but yeah, it is uh, challenging. I think like it is for everybody. It's you know, challenging for everybody in different ways. But thank you guys again. Uh, awesome pod. Happy to be part of the DC. Uh, that's one thing I did do during COVID actually, which was great. I finally joined the DC, which is cool because I've been listening to you guys for years, man. At least two, two maybe three years. That is one super positive thing that did come out of the coronavirus so far. So thank you again, guys. Ciao. Hi, this is Alex from Bogota, Colombia, and my quarantine story is that I got married. So when the citywide lockdowns began and the, the borders were uh, were quickly closed, it was unclear when Lena and I would be able to see our families again or, or even be able to go outside of our apartment. This time together led to a lot of conversations about what was important to us and our future. In the world of uncertainty, one thing became ever more clear. We wanted to be together no matter what was happening in the world. So on July 31st, 2020, Alina and I got married. There was no big party and there were no wedding bells. It was just us, the officiator, and our families watching via live stream. And it was perfect. So after months and months of enforced quarantines, I'm so thankful that this time has brought Alina and I closer. And we've chosen to be together for all the right reasons. It's still unclear when the borders will open and it'll be safe to see our families again. But... No matter the uncertainty, I'm lucky enough to go through it all with the love of my life at my side. Huge congratulations to Alex and Lena, who are, of course, key members of the team. Key members. I mean, they're, they're such a huge part of what we're doing over at Dynamite Jobs. I think their first child is, is Dino the alpaca. <laughs> at least their first pet. Basically, I don't know where they found him. They adopted him, and uh, he's everywhere on the site. It's a symbol of their passion for that brand and for going above and beyond the customers and clients that we have at Dynamite Jobs. So for all y'all who've come over to the website, we appreciate it. It's just been awesome to literally place hundreds of capable people in your companies over the years. You know, Ian, this reminds me that 2020 has really been the year of the team. I think on multiple occasions this year, I've taken screenshots of our team calls, like our Zoom calls, just because I'm so proud of everybody. Like, I just want to keep a snapshot of their smiling faces, the uh, amazing ideas, the arguments, the passion, the ideas. It's just uh, been a really cool year for the team because we're doing a lot of stuff. I mean, we also brought in some amazing new people. We brought in Simon Payne, a CTO for Dynamite Jobs to help us with the technology platform here, someone we've been friends with through this podcast for a decade. 
Likewise with Vincent Wynn, an experienced entrepreneur, joined our team to be the community manager of the Dynamite Circle, something he did for passion, not something he needed to do as a source of income, but something because he wanted to give back to the Dynamite Circle community. He's had a tremendous impact. We haven't even had him on the show. We had not had a chance to talk about that yet on the show, a story we can talk about in 2021. I got to give a shout out to my guy, Jeff Picaro. We have Friday night happy hours together. One of those was on this year's podcast. We're not able to collaborate in person this year at our events, but we kept the dialogue going, the ideas flowing. Of course, shout out to the production team here at the podcast, producer Jane and Arison, our sound engineer. What a rock solid, consistent team we have here at the podcast. Even at the top of the show, I was saying, wow, Jane put together such a cool show this week. And I know Arison's moving everything around right now doing the same. Just a, a really incredible team we've pulled together. And that's not even, I'm not even shouting out all the team members right now. I feel like the uh, Grammy music's getting playing me off right now. But it's like... <laughs> yeah. The words are scrolling really fast now, man. I can't keep up. But yeah, definitely thanks so much to the team. It's been a great year. Thanks to the community and to you, podcast listener, for uh, hanging out with us. I don't know what our anniversary is, Dan. Are we on 10 years or nine years? Or I'm losing track, but it's been another fun year. It's definitely been an interesting year. Yep, it's been fantastic. If you've listened to the end, we wish you happy, happy holidays. Thanks for listening to the show. Pull up uh, your telephone or your email client. Put in my email address there, dan at tropicalmba.com. Remember that 1% investment challenge. Ian and I also have a few Q&A episodes planned for 2021. Also, just curious if you have open thoughts about how you're planning for the new year. I think Ian and I certainly have this optimism that it's going to be sort of a return to form, not only for our businesses, but for the world in general. And so certainly I have a lot of optimism about 2021. We'd love to hear from you. And that's it, boss man. Fantastic. Uh, another year in the books. Also, big shout out to woven.com for sponsoring a show and helping to make it possible. And uh, sorry to mention it, Ian, but the aforementioned production team has uh, reprised an annual and embarrassing tradition, oh God. which are our seasonal bloopers. I'll tell you what, there are no shortage of me and you screwing up our uh, podcast recordings. So uh, stick around for some of that. All right, boss man, have a happy uh, holiday season. See you later. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Everything's interesting until you hit the red button. Here oh, we go. So much pressure. Are you all right? You're just looking at Moxie there? Yep. All right. He's <laughs> <It's> like, meow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you wanted to have me on so I could say you were right and I was wrong. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most products are androgynous and 
fairly known manufacturing. Um, Androgynous isn't the right oh, word, yeah. I don't think. Most products are uh, ubiquitous and... Uh, and so are the downsides if you fall into the snake of pits. <laughs> They're just tertiary titties. Or, geez. <laughs> They're just tertiary cities or, or second and third tier cities. But it definitely is. Um, hold on one second. Sorry. I will come back to that. Can you close my door, please? <clears throat> no problem. <laughs> I'll just resume right from, from where I am. We do this all the time. Three kids in the house and COVID. Like a boss. Oh, man. Uh, all right. Um, go, go. All right. So there's a there's a very clear... Uh, I'll ask you... Uh, ask me a question. You can ask me a question or should I ask you a question? You ask me a question. Then I'll ask you a question. Any question? Any question. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'll just start color? I don't, need, I don't need a question from you. Sorry, Harrison. Give a fake goodbye, Jeff. Talk to you guys soon. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of faking going on this show.